Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good, my people, and welcome to the Believe in Heat podcast. I'm your host, Warren Shaw, and you know we have another dope episode lined up for you today. Woo! The Miami Heat are rolling through the playoffs, winners of the last series against the Atlanta Hawks, four games to one. It wasn't even really that close. We have a lot to talk about. Before we begin, you know I have to shout out the Believe Network and ask that you give this show and all the shows on the network some love. Give us a five-star rating, a like, a comment, and make sure you're rocking with us on all your favorite podcast platforms, wherever that may be. And as always, you know I gotta turn my attention now to our great sponsors. Our partners at Ben Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of your latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? Ben Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today and use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. You know what it is, shouts out to Bet Online, and now let's talk a little bit about these Miami Heat. Let's do it. Since we last spoke, the Miami Heat have vanquished their first round opponent, as I alluded to earlier, four games to one against the Atlanta Hawks, and it wasn't really an amazing series, I think, from Atlanta's standpoint. Trey Young was... Absolutely shut down by Miami's defense. The Heat defense is second in net rating, second in defensive rating so far here in these playoffs, second in assist ratio, really sharing the basketball, and really getting contributions from across the roster as we continue to talk about each and every week. You know, when I took over here at Believe in Heat, one of the things I continue to discuss and bring up is Miami's depth. And that was definitely shown again throughout the course of this series, especially in games four and five. No Kyle Lowry in game four, no Kyle Lowry in game five, and no Jimmy Butler in game five. And who stepped up? Not was it only Gabe Vincent, but he also saw Victor Oladipo in both games and specifically in game five started in place of Jimmy Butler and was probably the single-handed reason why Miami is actually able to win that game, despite Atlanta making a late run at the close of Game 5. I want to play for you a little bit of Victor Oladipo's press conference at the end of Game 5. It's a little bit extended, but stay with me, because I think there's some great stuff in here that we can dive into. I remember a year ago today, um, around this time last year, I was sitting in a dark room by myself and just broke down. Um, Not because... I quit, but because I was at the lowest point I could be at. Now, God has put me in this position today. So I just made the most of it. Um, I can't really explain why I'm going through what I went through. I can't really explain why I'm here today. But, you know, I'm staying in the moment and making every moment mean something. So I'm just going out there and playing hard, man. we, we had a great win, a uh, great series. Um, when the job isn't done yet, you know, there's still a lot more basketball left. But I just got to keep getting better, man. That's what I'm focused on doing is, um, is getting better. Um, it's my ninth game. So I got a lot of room to improve. Vic, when you're sitting in that dark room, I guess is the preeminent thought in your mind, why me? And if so, why 
why didn't you give up along the way? I mean, we are human. We all get to that point. If you have it, you will at some point in your life. I've been fighting since I, even before I was born. I've been fighting. So uh, if you look at my story, if you look at uh, how I got to this point from high school to college till now, I was always counted out. So when God gave me this obstacle, I could have done two things. I could have stopped. I could have stopped. Well, I could have ran right through it, and I'm still running through it. So, um, you know, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Simple as that. Vic, just in the last month and a half since you were cleared to return, what, I mean, what has that process been like, just trying to, you know, you're, you're jumping into a team so late in the game. What has that process been like to kind of find your way um, this late in the season? Um. I understood this process wouldn't be easy, you know, and it hasn't been. Uh, but I never shied away from work ever, and I didn't plan on doing it now. So, you know, I couldn't control the circumstance, but I can control my approach. I could control my mentality. Um, and, you know, when my number was called today and they needed me, I was able to perform at the, at, at the level I performed at. Um, and, again, you know, I, I'm still improving. Like, it's... Um, I haven't played enough basketball to be super comfortable yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> During this process, and it's really what's almost like a four-year process at this point, right? Um, yeah. Did you <laughs> did you envision what it would be like, and if you did, what would it be like getting back to a level that, that you were reaching in Indiana? And if you did, how does tonight match up against that vision? Oh, I have no doubt I can, I can surpass that, that level. I was at. I have no doubt in my mind. I, 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 even better days than that to come. So, um, this is just a part of the journey of getting there. Um, and I'm still on my pursuit for greatness. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's going to be obstacles. This ain't the only one that's going to happen the rest of my career. Um, but I've been through so much. I've um, I've seen so much. And, and um, I've overcome a lot, so whatever happens next, I'll be ready for it. Um, and, you know, tonight wasn't just me. You know what I mean? Tonight was a collective team win. A lot of guys stepped up and did great things for us. Um, and, you know, I'm just happy and glad to be a part of it. And a lot of things that y'all don't see or that people don't see is how huge Jimmy and Kyle were on the bench today. They were like coaches away from the obvious coaches, obviously, but... Jimmy helped me tremendously in the fourth quarter. And um, you won't see it, obviously, in the box score. You won't see it unless someone tells you. So it's my job to tell you. Jimmy helped me a lot in the fourth quarter. So um, I appreciate him. We appreciate Kyle. Um, we can't wait till they get healthy um, and, and get back out there um, helping us win. A reflective Victor Oladipo there, who finished game five with 23 points, three assists, and three steals. 8 of 16 from the floor, 3 of 6 from 3, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, and plus 7 in his 36 minutes. You can hear in his voice how just important it was for him to be able to come back here and contribute in the way that he did. And he has more to give. This guy just wants to play basketball again, and the opportunity, the door was open for him due to the Butler and Lowry injuries, and he 
busted right through that joint and is continuing now on his path of recovery and hopefully redemption for him and to see where he can fit in this Heat roster moving forward. What I found to be intriguing was how he definitely decided to big up Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler for their contributions and helping him stay focused and ready on the task at hand and vanquishing the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, that type of stuff really kind of speaks to the overall identity of this Miami Heat team. But if you've been paying attention, you've also probably heard some of the BS out there that Jimmy Butler doesn't want to play with Oladipo. And I think Vic was really trying to point that out specifically or, or squash any of that type of conversation in giving Jimmy Butler his credit for saying, listen, he was really instrumental in helping me kind of stay stay focused here at the end of game five. So those are the types of things that make this Heat team one of the best out there. Uh, they have each other's backs. They don't let the media and all that other stuff kind of poison their roster. And you saw that here in Victor Oladipo's press conference. And as I continue to say, it's a great problem for Expulsure to have to be able to look down his bench and know everybody is going to be ready whenever he calls upon them. Now Miami turns their focus to the second round and against a familiar opponent in the Philadelphia 76ers. And I have a great, great guest coming up on the Heat Culture segment to break down that series and a little bit more. Stay tuned. Miami Heat Culture is a system based on discipline, hard work. Hashtag Heat Culture. The Miami Heat Culture. Heat Culture. Miami has developed this culture that is known throughout the NBA. Heat Culture. And on this week's edition of the Heat Culture segment, we have one of the fastest growing personalities on NBA Twitter. He is a legendary Chris Barnett, the founder of Hoop Spaces. And if you can believe it, he's actually a Sixers fan as well, too. Excommunicated Sixers fan for some of the things I've heard him say on Twitter. But here to discuss the upcoming series with Miami and Philly, it is my guy, Chris. Bam, what's good, family? How you doing? I'm doing good, Warren. Happy, happy to be here for part of the the heat segment. Heat culture is on fire, and and I'm here for it. It's going to be one hell of a series. So, as you mentioned, that some of the things, one of the things I like to do when discussing with my guests here is just what do you, what is heat culture to you? Somebody who's you know not necessarily a heat fan, but when you think about that, what what are the words or phrase or kind of the things that embody heat culture in your opinion? Now, I, I take it a little bit differently uh, here because most people will allude to um, Pat Riley, the, the, the culture way of practice, accountability. Uh, but, but honestly, it actually starts with Mickey Arison. Uh, Mickey Arison is a dogged businessman, and, and he is an attention to details owner in everything he has ever operated in his life. That is the foundational principle of heat culture. It really does start with, with Mr. Ari. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I had to cough there for a second. <laughs> for uh, Mr. Arison. Um, and what he did was he, he targeted somebody who he believed understood his passion for getting it right. It doesn't have to be right all the time because that's an impossibility. But you create a structure where you are right most of the time because you are attention to detail. And, and that is the first principle of heat culture. And then that attention to detail lends itself to the accountability factor. And then what ends up happening is how's it trans, uh, how it transitions into the players is their scouting team specifically targets players who have a mindset that is less about them as an individual and more about them as being the best part of the current roster or situation they're in. 
And a lot of people say, how can that happen? Well, it's attention to detail once again, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you see that in the players that they have picked up either in the second round or undrafted, put them through their G League system and, and have played valuable minutes in this season and even in this postseason. That, that is heat culture in, in a nutshell. Oh, I love it. I think that's one of the better definitions I've heard since, you know, joining the Believe Network and doing this show. And I think Mickey doesn't really get mentioned all that often. He's just kind of one of the under under the radar owners, if you will, is not necessarily even seeking that attention and that adulation, if you will, too. A lot of people are going to start with Raleigh. They're going to talk about the way the locker room is is set up. And have you ever been to the to, to the Miami um, FTX arena now? just the pictures and things and things, how ways are played. So the players are it's kind of always in front of mind, but obviously the practice and how they're the physicality and, you know, how they have to have 6% body fat <laughs> in order to make the team. But talking about it from the, the governor lens, if you will, too, starting at the top is not something that a lot of people do. So I know we're going to be in for a good conversation, Chris. I appreciate that. Man. I definitely yeah, appreciate no, that. I, I, I want to give him uh, his, his credit and I'm sure he'll give the credit uh, to the University of Miami School of Business. <laughs> Shout sure. out, Ken. <laughs> what up, what up, what up? So, Chris, great answers there on the heat culture situation. So I want to take us now to the series. And as we talk about Miami and now the Philadelphia 76ers, two teams got here very, very different ways in how they've gotten here. Philadelphia, unfortunately, um, as a result of their bo- their war, could become out now super battle-tested. Joel Embiid is now going to be out um, for the indefinitely, what's your take on that situation there and kind of how it plays into what we're going to see here now in the game one and maybe throughout the course of the series, I guess, Lime Heat? It's, it's definitely the news you don't want to hear as a basketball fan. And as a Sixers fan, you don't want to hear anything with Embiid in terms of injury, uh, specifically an order, orbitable uh, bone fracture. He's already had them twice before. Um but this is this is real bad timing, as everybody understands. It's a seven game series, and the Heat already have home court advantage. So, like, imagine already going in with the odds against you a little bit based upon record, and then now your best player, both on offense and defense, might miss up to two games, maybe even more. We don't know. Uh, the average recoup time is about three to four weeks he's had it before maybe he can get back in five to seven depends on the swelling uh depends on what the doctors say but more importantly it's also the concussion uh they they listed it as a mild concussion i think people need to understand what that actually means it just means a a connotation of the swelling doesn't mean the cognitive impact of what concussions may possibly do and I, i speak as somebody in military service who received it so I, I would actually be extremely worried if I were the 76ers and as I am a 76ers fan, because sometimes you get to a point where you have to ask yourself, is the next two, three, four years worth the next two, three games? And, and with him being listed out as indefinite, um, I think Coach Rivers really has a tough task. And it just highlights the importance of the development of uh, Tyrese Maxey. Uh, and the reemergence of Tobias Harris that we've seen in the Toronto series at, at times. And I think that's going to play a, a really, really important part in matching with James Harden to, to form a offense that's going to be able to keep up with the tenacity and energy that Miami's going to exert. 
Because the one thing that we understand about Miami and, and Coach Eric Spolstra and players like Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, if, if there is, for a lack of a better saying, blood in the water, they know what to do. Yeah, They've been here before. They get it. And that is going to be something that I can see as a, a major hurdle for the 76ers to overcome. So as you talk about that, it makes me think now, because again, Solskjaer obviously is one of the better coaches in the NBA. And we'll talk a little bit about that matchup with Doc Rivers specifically later on. But Spo now, I think even in the game plan, you're a game planning for a MVP type candidate and having to figure that out. And now the Heat, you think that's just easier, but they do have to kind of switch gears now and, and switch their focus. So, you know, it's weird now to kind of say next man up is James Harden. I mean, but he is the, the next talented player, next most talented player on that Sixers roster. And we haven't really seen him in a way. And it's something that, you know, I might take this conversation a little bit all over the place because he he left Brooklyn because he didn't want to have all this level of responsibility. And now, unfortunately, Embiid's going to be on this series and he's going to have all this level of responsibility. What are you looking for um, from James Harden specifically? And how do you think the Heat will game plan against him now as the primary focus of that offense? You know, I, I think when he left Brooklyn not wanting to be responsible primarily or, or for an overwhelming amount of burden sharing, right? I, I think this is different because it's something he views as a natural occurrence within the game, mm. which is different than the situation in Brooklyn. For sure, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, though, unfortunately for James Harden, unless he's getting you know fully healthy in the next two or three days, it makes it a little bit more difficult for him. Tyrese Maxey has age, youth, and exuberance in his step. He's got a wonderful bounce. He's one of the quickest players in the first off his first step in the league. Uh, James Harden is not that anymore. He's not. He's 32. Everybody knows what he's going to do. Uh, he's going to hit you with that double step back three. He's going to try to get you rocking so he can drive in on his left hand. And the Miami Heat, without Joel Embiid, you know, as a real game piece, are going to be able to focus on that and keep him out of the paint. You can see Bam, you know, switching on every pick and roll now uh, with the hedge towards the drive on either Maxi or James Harden. And they're going to push Harden even more into these wide angle threes that he's just really bad at shooting. And, and a lot of people don't understand that. He's really good when he can square his body up, but if you give him a defender that gets in into his body space and pushes him to the edge of the wings, he's he's going to shoot a wide angle three where his shoulders aren't square up to the basket, and that's going to affect his shooting. And and if he doesn't, you know, shoot efficiently, if he goes five for seventeen, it, unless he's getting ten to fifteen free throw attempts, it's not going to matter because that just means he's going to become ball dominant in the Miami Heat have done what they needed to do, which was force him into bad shots. And if you do that, you're going to stagnate the Philadelphia offense, and Tobias Harris isn't going to get his touches and mismatches. Tyrese Maxey is going to see an overload recovery when you sling back to the weak side, and then you're going to be left with George Nyang or Shake Milton in the corner at the dump-off. And it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> 
You know, one of the things that you just touched on here, too, it, it comes to the overall depth of the Sixers roster and then com- comparing it to Miami, which is really kind of the next man up approach. Really doesn't matter. Social can look down that bench and say, hey, you know, Kyle Guy, when he was here, get in here and, and give us some minutes. You know what I mean? Kayla Martin, go in here and give us some minutes. Now, even Victor Oladipo from that last series in lieu of the Lowry injury and the Butler injuries as well. You know, I worry about that from the Sixers standpoint, especially now not having what being as top heavy as they are. Is there bench help and depth that you think the Sixers will be able to utilize? Um, is there somebody you can identify as like, you know what, maybe watch out for this guy now as a result of um, the situation now with Embiid? And, and don't tell me it's Paul Reed. <laughs> don't tell you it's B-ball Paul, right? <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the reason why you get vets is for a moment like this, right? You, you should be able to, as Doc Rivers, go to DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap and say, look, both of you have to give me 12 minutes tonight. And, like, you need to figure out what you need to do to hearken back to when you were 29, 32, and give us these 12 minutes because if it isn't Paul Reed, who is it? It's not Charles Basie. He's out. You know, it's not Charlie Brown. He's the four-string small forward. <laughs> You're left with Paul Millsap, DeAndre Jordan, and Paul Reed. And that's just the honest truth. And and unfortunately, unless Isaiah Joe or Firkin Corkmaz grow five inches overnight, that's that's the extent of your bigs. And I say that because I think what will happen uh, is you'll get a changeup from Miami. And I think we might see the ignition of Bam out of bio. He's going to be able to bully any big the Philadelphia 76ers put out there. So, yeah, I, I would love to say it isn't Paul Reed, but it's going to have to be Paul Reed. And then DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap are going to have to figure out how to get a combined 18 to 24 minutes between the two of them. So I think those are great. That's a great answer, Chris. And, you know, I think when you're looking at it, even too, it's not just the offensive side of the basketball now, but now it's the rim protection that Embiid provided that's now no longer going to be there. And as we've seen throughout the course of the first round of the series, Jimmy Butler's become more aggressive, you know, and I think we talked last time we hate the term bubble Jimmy, he's playoff Jimmy, and, and we just need to understand that. So without necessarily having that rim protection there where Jimmy likes to do those drives, and he when, he, when he's clicking like this, he's, he, he becomes a three-level scorer. You know, if he's hitting the three, we know he's going to drop, we know he's going to get to the free throw line and do all those things, but now there is no threat you talk about Bam obviously having his way, but even a guy like Butler now and even and even Tyler Hero or if Lowry's back in the series, there is no real threat of rim protection into the series. Like, how do you think that can be combated? Or is that something that, you know, Doc Rivers is just going to have to concede in some some capacity and try to figure out other ways to kind of get some W's? Uh, Paul Reed needs to not foul. Uh, I don't really particularly care about DeAndre Jordan or Paul Millsap's fouls. They have six. They can use all six. In fact, if they got 12 minutes each and they fouled every two minutes, I'll be happy. Mm. Um, What I see happening, though, is something Doc Rivers isn't really going to be able to to stop. And Jimmy Butler is going to be able to rub off of Bam Adebayo in the pick and roll as a small forward with Max Struess or Gabe Vincent as the point guard and both P.J. Tucker, who will be in the corner, and Duncan Robinson at power forward, and then what are you going to do? Are you going to follow Bam on the roll? Are you going to go with Jimmy on the rub? Are you going to, you know, 
sag off of P.J. Tucker in the corner where he's killing it? Uh, are you going to allow Duncan Robinson to to skirt out of a double, you know, pick and, and swing out at 27 feet with a wide open shot? It, it's not pretty. It just is not pretty. And then for a change of pace, you put in Victor Oladipo or Tyler Hero when your guys are on the bench, your, your starters are on the bench, and then he's going to carve up pick and rolls against DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap. So, like, this really is – Honestly, a, a circle the wagons type game. Pack the middle, force Miami to, to try to beat you with, you know, three-point shots and run them off their space. Because if if they're gonna beat you going, you know, nine for 13 from deep, fine. Live with that. Don't don't let them go seven for eight on a drive and then go five for five from deep, because then that you're playing directly into what they want you to do. And you're not going to be able to keep up with the offensive offense efficiency. So, yeah, I, I just don't like the the position Doc Rivers is in. Um, mm-hmm. But I can see him saying, you know what, we're going to pack the paint. Uh, we're not going to foul. We're going to go vertical. And you're going to have to beat us from the three-point line. Right. And I think that's something Miami is comfortable doing um, right now as we as we record something I said pre-air as well, too. They've really been moving the ball well. Um, I guess it was the Hawks. I will I will understand that as well, too. But, you know, the Sixers, especially without an beat, don't strike me as a very staunch defensive lineup. And then it puts a lot of pressure on uh, Matisse Thibault now to try to be out there and be that wing defender. But he literally cannot be everywhere. And Miami has a way to attack and, and feels very comfortable, even with Bam Adebayo handling the ball, initiating offense at times. And I think that's where Philadelphia is going to be at a severe disadvantage because it really is going to be coming from everywhere. If Oladipo's in, he can handle. Tyler Hero can handle the ball. Obviously, Lowry is a ball handler. Jimmy Butler can initiate offense. So it's a lot of those guys. And then you have your Gabe Vincent, your Struces. Well, Vincent can handle the ball too, but Struce and, and Duncan Robinson and guys like that too are going to just kind of camp out on Tucker in the corner. It really does become a problem. And I don't think Miami would be uber uncomfortable, if you will, shooting the three, because, you know, even just a couple of years ago, they were one of the league leading teams. I think that bubble team was one of the league leading teams in threes. And they are, they are removed from that to some degree, but they still have a lot of those same principles going into this series that in essence probably gives them advantage and being able to attack Philadelphia in multiple ways. Um, let's talk a little bit now about Tyrese Maxey. And so we saw him grow up a lot. And, you know, we, we've talked about this too, that, you know, I laughed, uh, when I saw Harden trade initially and they inter- and they put Maxi in as kind of the new big three because he was the one who was performing immediately, you know, and and Tobias Harris was still kind of just like doing his thing, but not necessarily getting the limelight. It really seemed like the trade helped Maxi the most. What do you expect from him, I guess, in this series? And is there a way that um, he can take that leap where he's a whatever it is, a 20 point per game guy, you know, on super efficient shooting and getting a couple assists and maybe even helping on the defense side and steals as well too. Or do you think that's just too tall of a tale against an experienced Miami defense? Like Tyrese Maxey, uh, I'm very happy he fell to the, to the 76ers in the 2020 draft at 21 overall. I honestly thought he was going to be drafted in, in the top 15. Um, the, the problem, however, that we have here is, is just a small sample size. In, in six postseason games, he's averaging 21 points and five assists and five rebounds. And this is, you know, rounded to the nearest whole number. Uh, for the season, he's averaging 17 and a half, four and three. And, and that is sustainable because he's shown that that's sustainable as a third option. Like he's going in now at the very least, a second option. And if not, the primary fast break, you know, and, and transition facilitator.
So like he's going to have a dual role. And and the problem that I have is when you look at the Miami Heat, they could literally just run doubles, you know, at James Harden and say, hey, Mr. Second Year player, if you can beat us, beat us. Or they could run doubles at Tyrese Maxey, frustrate him, get him out the game and say, hey, Mr. 32-year, 11-year vet, go beat us. And, and I think that type of issue, uh, which reminds me very similar to the Portland days of Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, is, again, a, a position that I don't envy Doc Rivers being in because that's it. That's your offense. Without those two, you're relying on, you're relying on Shake Milton. And I love Shake, but he, he's more of a two-guard in this combo guard world and not a one guard um so you're going to have to figure out how to scheme uh, whether you're going to do it uh in a pick and roll variant offense uh similar to what doc did in los angeles with chris paul or maybe you see something similar to what they do uh what he did in boston uh where you have rajon rondo initiate you know literally the majority of the offense and we'll say that'll be the james harden role because we see him with the volume assist and then you put Tyrese Maxey in the Ray Allen or Paul Pierce role. So you're running him off of those double staggers in the corner so they can swing out and have an isolation. Uh, or you're giving him the Paul Pierce where you're running him through the windmill and getting him the ball at the top of the key. And at that point, you're simplifying the game for Tyrese. And you're saying, we're going to make it where you're one-on-one -on -one with him and we're going to live and die with you. I personally would go with James Harden. I know the history. I know a lot of people say he chokes in the playoffs. Uh, my response to that, if you're the number one option, the focal point of your offense and every series, uh, they're gunning for you defensively while being able to do it within a seven game series where they're only focusing on you. Whereas during the course of the regular season, they know what you're going to do, but they have to prepare for other teams. Your only shot if you're Philly, if you're Doc Rivers, is James Harden being efficient. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel bad for Tyrese Maxey because I could see him going into this series on a high and then a lot of people, you know, making erroneous assumptions at the end of the series. Yeah. And I think, again, another great point here. We're talking about Chris Barnett here from Hoop Spaces. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Hoop Spaces and joining those conversations on a weekday basis, Monday through Friday. You know, if if you're the Sixers, right, and I think you just saw what Miami was able to do to Atlanta and really kind of cutting off Trey Young's space, Harden needs to take a lot from that and understanding how he's going to be attacked, how he's going to be doubled, how they're going to hedge, and where the angles might be. And I think it really is, you know, the, the old terminology, ball movement versus player movement. Um, Sixers players are going to need to relocate because <laughs> Miami's defense is it can really, really suffocate. So if they do not re relocate and give Harden angles, it's going to be extremely, extremely tough. And I know we're kind of pounding the Harden angle here a little bit, too. But is it in a way where you see because, again, I'm starting to get I'm talking myself out of it. Like, I'm really like, I don't know how Philly's going to do this. <laughs> you know, I just I really I'm, I'm trying to get there on it. But the more we have a conversation, you know, the harder it's becoming for me. Is it? Harden just, what are you looking for? I mean, does does he have to be like a 35-point-per-game guy where at 15 assists, or can he be a super high assist guy as long as his points are efficient, so to speak, so he's in the lower amounts there? I mean, and this is strictly from the offensive side because I think that's where they're really going to struggle to kind of stay into this thing, let alone the defensive deficiencies that are there as well, too. Like, what type of numbers does Harden have to produce in this series to make it work? Well, you know, 
for the postseason, Joel's played 39 minutes. He's averaged 26 and 11. Um, that's what you need to replace, right? And if you actually extend that sample size into the end of the season, he was averaging 35 and 14. Yeah, he was crazy. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Like when 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 the when the playoffs opened up, um. A lot of Sixers Twitter, you know, they didn't like what I said. I said the Sixers will beat Toronto in six. And they're going to have to hit their shots. If they don't hit their shots, Toronto's going to give them, you know, a seven-game series uh, just because of how their defensive principles are. They match up phenomenally well with everybody on Philadelphia, not named Joel Embiid. Miami matches up well with everybody on the 76ers and arguably matches up the best in the Eastern Conference against Joel and B. So if you're going to play the team that matches up best against you when you already have the best player in the series, if you lose the best player in the series for even a game, you're going to need that second player to replace that scoring. You're going to need that second, second player, the third option normally to replace the second option scoring. But more importantly, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to say it's not James Harden. It's Tobias Harris. Okay. Making 34, 35 mil. He's played in Doc Rivers' offense. He's been a 20 point per game, seven rebound, three assist player. Like currently, I think he's 17, nine or 17, eight and three and a half. We're going to need 22, 23 from Tobias Harris. We're going to need not three and a half. We're going to need five assists because George Nyang and Danny Green aren't relocating, as you've already said. You need the player movement. They're not moving players. The only player they can have to to manipulate the Miami defense from the starting unit is Tobias Harris. And 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 again, not envying Doc Rivers, but then if Embiid isn't playing, you can just put Bam on him. Yeah, yeah. So it's gonna be it's if if Joel Embiid misses two games, it's 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 literally the closest you can be to a series being over before it started. If he misses one game, Philly then has to play perfect. They have to win at home, and they have to steal a game. And and that's that's a tall order. Well, one of the things that we're, we know about Joel specifically is that he he wants it. He does care, despite everything that's said about him, I think, previous in previous years. I think he's cleaned up. You know his his reputation in a lot of ways. He wants to be a winner. Wants to be MVP. Wants to be defensive player of the year. All of that. So if there's any way he can get back out there, he 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 absolutely will. But in the interim time, it's 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 James Harden. It's the scheming of Doc Rivers. It's it's Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, and you know maybe a little Paul Reed here. <laughs> um, and the Sixers will have to to rely on to kind of get things done. Um, and it, it it makes it makes me nervous, you know, for them. And one of the things that is kind of creeping maybe in the the back channels, if you will, of Twitter. And this is not something that this Heat team I think has to worry about though. Is would there be a letdown from Miami? And I think you touched on this point earlier. Um, just because they're it's they're, they're coached the way they're coached, they're, they're veteran guys. If this was a younger team, like maybe the Memphis Grizzlies, not to like pick on them, so to speak, but who haven't been here before, and they come in with this perceived advantage, it would almost be like kind of psyching themselves out a little bit. Like they'd feel like a lot of pressure, like we really need to get this done because now we are clearly the better team in this series. I don't think that's going to happen here with this Miami Heat roster. They are just two seasons too, too veteran and too well coached to allow something like that to kind of get in, get in their way and get in their head. So next to the last question before that you get out of here, Chris, um, 
the coaching matchup. Obviously, Doc Rivers, especially coming out of this Toronto series, you know, he's in his feelings a little bit. I mean, he was in his feelings and he, he was firing back and he's like, look at my resume and you see that I've done a good job and was even misquoting some of the <laughs> some of his his accomplishments, if you will. But we'll let him slide on that. And obviously he's one of the whatever it was top 15 NBA coaches of all time. But so is Eric Spolstra. So rosters aside, who are you giving the edge to in the coaching matchup in, in this series? Hey, see, I. I love this question because it allows me to do two things. First, I want to say uh, to Eric Spolstra, um, it's a shame you haven't won a coach of the year. You are a phenomenal coach. Uh, and, and I see you winning at least one in your career, <laughs> if not two. And I think you're going to be a hell of a GM when, when you move up. Um, but I think a lot of people do discount Doc Rivers coaching acumen. Um, I personally I have a different basketball philosophy. Uh, I believe he trusts in his players too much. And that that is a great thing and can be a bad thing because if all your players are clicking, as we saw last night, it's great. But when the players aren't performing, that is where he has a deficiency because he then tends to trust the players. Eric Spolster doesn't have that. If you're not performing, you see it on his face. And then if you're not performing after you see it on his face, you're on the bench. And that goes to everybody. He did it to Jimmy. And then Jimmy got mad and he <laughs> said, who do you think I am? And then what did we see happen? Right. They went and talked about it in the office the next day and everything went back to what it's supposed to be because he has that ability. And I think that just gives the slight edge to Eric Spolstra. The fact that he can rein in his guys and say, this isn't about trust. This is actually about what's best in basketball. And I, I, I think that's an underrated talent, and, and that's what gives him the edge. But, like, you're asking me to, to pick the difference between, you know, like a, a cherry gummy bear and a cherry starburst here, <laughs> right? They're both cherry. It's a win-win, you know, regardless of which one you prefer. So before we close out, I want to just kind of ask you point blank here, you know, how do you see this series going? Um, you know, how many games and who's the winner? I know we have contingencies here and think that nature, but again, as currently constructed, where do you see it going? Indeed, misses two games. I, I can honestly see a sweep uh, or a gentleman's sweep. If he misses one game, I can see Miami in six very easily. Uh, unfortunately for Philadelphia, I, I have to say Miami in six if Embiid misses a game. I just don't I just don't see them playing four perfect games out of six, uh, but I can see them winning three. Right. Like I can see them pushing it to seven if everything went right. But I just think Miami's too deep. I think Coach Spo is is a very underrated coach, which is something because he's a top 15 of all time. And I see Miami winning in six. I really do. I think Embiid comes back game two. I think that'll give them a boost. Maybe they they steal that game, uh, but I actually think Miami wins the first two. I think Philly rebounds. They'll win the next two, and then Miami will will win in Philadelphia in Game Six. Well, here on the Believe in Heat podcast, you know we're not going to disagree with anything that goes with the Miami faithful, if you will. We want to thank our guy Chris Barnett for joining us here on this preview of culture versus process, if you will. And uh, Chris, before we let you get out of here, man, tell the people where they can find you, which you're working on next. 
Absolutely. Uh, if you are on Twitter, you can find me at the handle at Hoopspaces, H-O-O-P-S-P-A-C-E-S. I run a daily NBA show Mondays through Fridays, 10 a.m. Eastern time until 1 p.m., sometimes 2 p.m. Pacific. Um, we, we extend it out because of the playoffs. Also, we have 23 other various rooms covering basketball, including uh, Heat Spaces. So if you are on Twitter and you want to find a place to talk Miami Heat, just you know, search Hoop Spaces, and, and I'll point you in the right direction. He is the man, Chris Barnett. Make sure you stay tapped in with him. As always, we want to thank him for his time here. And that'll do it for the Heat Culture segment on here, too. We'll be here to wrap, it up, wrap up things here in a little bit. Thank you so much. Dos minutos. And that will do it for this edition of Believe in Heat, presented by Bet Online. Make sure you're staying tapped in with us throughout the course of the playoffs. I'll be back here in the next week or so to check in on the Heat and their progress against these Philadelphia 76ers. I want to thank my host again, Chris Barnett. Make sure you're following him at Hoop Spaces. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Shaw Sports NBA. And make sure you're following the Believe Network as well. All right, y'all. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.